Trapped in Austin podcast episode 31. We have a special episode for you guys, especially in the spirit of Halloween. I had to get Stephen Ballou on the show. Stephen is the host of the popular Night Owl podcast. And if you have not heard of the Night Owl podcast, get on the DSPs and go check it out. It's highly entertaining, especially if you're into ghost stories and true crime things of that nature. But um, yeah, this is probably my favorite interview I've done so far. Unfortunately, there's some technical difficulties with the audio on my end. You can hear Steven crystal clear on the interview, but there is kind of a chipmunk effect on my voice. I would say maybe 50% of the time when I'm talking. So if your ears have the stamina to endure it, it's definitely a great interview. You can still kind of make out what I'm saying. But it's just kind of annoying to listen to. I actually tried to hire a couple of audio engineers to fix the audio. And it was just a wash. They couldn't figure it out. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was such a good, it was such a good interview. I had to put it out. But uh, yeah, Steven was a super great guy. And I definitely look forward to having him back on the show. We consider him a friend here at this point. So We'll definitely try to get something out for you guys maybe early next year, a little bit better quality. Appreciate everybody who listens to the show and supports, though. It means more than you realize. Hopefully you guys enjoy the episode. Stay tuned. appreciate you doing the show man it means more than you know no for sure man uh thanks for reaching out yeah absolutely you've kind of been on my radar for a while man i know when i kind of i've been podcast year and a half and uh yeah i've just always kind of like you know heard about your show yeah i wanted to chat with so it's good to have you on yeah thanks man i appreciate that and then let me know i i um I was looking around for my headphones and I misplaced them. If it's, if you're getting any reverb back, I can go dig them out. I don't know why I couldn't find them. Usually I have them on my desk. Yeah. It's cool, dude. I, I really can't tell the quality until I, I kind of go back and listen to it and, and do the editing. Um, it sounds fine right now, so we can just kind of rock with it the way it is. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is like, where, where are you from exactly? Did you grow up in the Austin area? No, I grew up in South Texas. It's a real small town called Pawnee, Texas. Um, and it's kind of nestled between San Antonio and Corpus Christi, right in the middle. But its population is incredibly tiny. It's like still to this day, it's about 200 people there. And there's nothing around. A uh, very isolated, desolate town in South Texas. Yeah. 
Oh, right on, man. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with that part of the state, but that's interesting. When did you uh, I was in school in that area throughout college, and I moved to Austin once I graduated, which was around 2000. I think it was in the summer of 2005 and transitioning okay. like in 2006 that I moved here. I can't remember exactly, but that's that's what I recall. Right on. Very cool, man. Yeah, so uh, what uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you before we kind of dived into the podcast was like, what sort of got you into sort of supernatural culture and kind of occult things? Like, what what sort of inspired you to go down that route? It was a mixture of just where I grew up. Um, had a lot of folklore and legends steeped in like sort of the Hispanic culture that dominated down there. And I grew up half Hispanic myself. So my grandparents and my, my Hispanic side of the family would retell these stories. And I don't know, I just gravitated toward the paranormal, uh, towards the supernatural and to the mysterious legends and folklore, not only of the area, but just of the, of the Latin community, you know? Yeah, totally. No, that makes sense. Then, then I had my own personal experience at around age eleven. That that sort of was the catalyst that pushed me beyond just being interested to fully being like invested into what happened to me, why I want answers, and I began like kind of pursuing it once I got old enough to do so. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's like for me, right? I've always been really. I think there's like two kinds of people that are kind of in that community. And I'm interested. It's like the people who are there that are entertained by it. It's like they're, it's they're kind of and like, they don't really know if they believe in any of this stuff or they don't, but they're kind of intrigued by it. And I've sort of always been on that side of the fence a little bit. And then there's, there's people who like, this is like very real to them and it's, you know, it's personal and they like genuinely believe in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of come from both. I kind of, I wanted, I wanted answers. I didn't quite understand what happened to me, but I was never in the realm of it was entertaining or it was like super. Um, it was never like full, fully convincing to me, even though it happened to me and I was, really shook by what happened to me i think i was just more drawn in by curiosity as as to whether i could get the the proof for myself not for anybody else but for myself and proof for me was much different than what like is on paranormal television shows and and written in stories um so i had to kind of pave my own way and i think that's what i've started to do with the show and we're doing it in a in a much different way than most paranormal shows do just because it was what I wanted as far as a paranormal um, investigation, what it would look like in my eyes. And it seems to be helping other people, which I'm really happy to hear because they, they really are in the same boat as I am is that either they had an experience, they wrestle with whether they feel crazy or not. And I'm able to sort of tap into that community a little bit more. I think because I've been there, I've been through that questioning phase and not jumping to, being so gullible like a lot of people that are really entertained by it can be really gullible by it and anything's yeah. a ghost or like a you know a speck of dust or a bug is a ghost so i i don't jump to that at all on any of my conclusions we don't use any gear in my show so there's no there's no 
voice recording material. There's no video cameras. Um, my style of investigation is through historical research and, and diving into like investigative journalism and testimony recording. And then I start piecing together a, a mystery, a puzzle saying, does this line up uh, without people knowing each other's stories? Are they saying the same things? Are they seeing the same things? And then finding clues in history that relate to what they've seen that they don't have any, any knowledge of that really, really has been really profound to me to find those clues and know that I'm on this journey to solve something that no one else has tried to really solve before in this way. And it just becomes a really incredible journey where we involve psychics that don't know anything coming in and other people involved. And, and I'm able to kind of do it all behind the scenes, orchestrate it without giving out any information. And I get to watch my own version of like proof develop for each case because I know who knows what and who doesn't. And, uh, and then I present that in the show. And so it's really, it's really in a straightforward, honest way where people seem to be really appreciative of, of that style, knowing that it's, it's not, we're not trying to um, exaggerate or make something overly scary or spooky or try to get people to, to jump or get scared. It's more like, no, this is just happening. Here's how it's unfolding. And we hope you enjoy the ride. Yeah, I I was listening to a couple episodes earlier today, man. You've I commend you for this. I mean, I can tell you put a lot of effort into this show. Like it's very well produced. And um, like I for example, I was just listening to the the episode about the theater in Lockhart. And uh it's really engaging stuff, man. I, I don't listen. It's interesting, you know as a podcaster, podcaster I don't listen. listen. Well, they have like three or four that are like my main go-to and I don't listen to a, you know, for example, like out of the true crime stuff is really popular right now. A lot of that, but when I, when I listen to your show, man, it was just, it really, really, really good stuff. And it's, uh, it's well made. And I was going to ask you kind of, um, I guess kind of before we get into the history of the show a little bit, since we're kind of talk to me a little bit about yeah, how much production goes into this. I mean, you know, you, it, 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 I'm assuming you kind of have a team of people. I'm assuming it's probably kind of a small team, but I can tell there's a lot of moving parts to this and there's, you do a lot of legwork. So, I mean, how or, or, or guess time are you putting into like each episode? Yeah, it's a good question. And thank you for the compliments there. Um, yeah, it's kind of, got me into a little bit of a, a of a predicament because I started the show in 2017-18. I started like recording it in 2017. Um and I didn't know what I was doing. Like I didn't know podcast was new for me. I'm in the same boat as you. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts to be honest with you. Yeah. Um I do a lot of self-help or or like kind of um improvement stuff just to kind of when I take hikes or go on runs. I'll do that. Um it's hard for me to like, I have to really focus on a story. I, I'm, I can't do two things at once. So that's definitely challenging, but road trips, I definitely listen to them on road trips. Um, but when I was creating this, I, the first season you hear, um, which is 12 episodes and they are pretty profound. I was just pretty amazed at how these series started to develop and how long each case would unfold under like many episodes, three episodes long would be one series on one particular location. 
but it was just because the stories were so compelling and there was so many things that we started to unravel. And what I had is in the beginning, it was solely me. Um, I did everything. I did the historical research. I did the editing. I did um, the only thing I haven't done. And I hats off to uh, my amazing musician and composer, Nick Fair out of Corpus Christi uh, also goes under his, you know, his pseudonym or, or band name, Gnosis Antiquarius does incredible work to score these beautiful, really relevant pieces that that really give our show a unique um, atmosphere that isn't overly spooky. I think what people are used to when they hear scary stuff and scary shows, it's like the really jarring or really ominous organ or or yeah. or, or strings or, or keys. And he'll go out of his way to kind of like produce these really unique ambient drones and and ominous tones but they're not over the top and they they really suit each story really well each case really well um so nick is a part of the team does a lot of that work then i also have my investigative team that i slowly built up over the course of that first season and most of that is just my really good friend alexis arredondo from corpus christi that moved to austin also close to the time that i moved here and then my psychic friend sarah who's been an incredible asset to the show um, and has her revelations on each case have just been so profound that it's garnered a, a massive following of people that actually want to meet and get to know her because she's shocked a lot of people. Even the owners of these businesses can't believe the information that she's able to relay to them, just communicating with the spirits that are there. And that's part of my investigative team me as sort of being the lead investigator uh, journalist the guy taking you there the guy interviewing the guy finding the cases unraveling them leading you through the story and piecing it all together alexis does a lot of occult and spiritual practices and so he has a vast knowledge of that so when we go into cases he provides a lot of uh, information and theories that really help us shape um some some sort of plausible explanations for what might be going on there and then Sarah obviously gives us this, this third eye that we can see through and she can talk to and say, yeah, there's this here. This is what they're saying. This is what they're doing. And no joke, every case we've been on, names she gets, I'll find in history records and they're tied to the building. She'll get full on information and describe what the spirits are doing without ever being to this venue, without knowing where we're going. We, we keep her completely oblivious to it. She will give us the exact information of what is being experienced at these locations. Wow. And it's what I've recorded from all the staff and she'll just basically come there and say, this is happening. This is happening. And it's exactly what's been reported and she'll find exactly where it's happening. So if it's a three-story building and they're like, Oh, there's a woman that's on the second story building in this window, Sarah will come there and point and say, well, there's a woman that stands in this particular window all the time. People see her here and it raises the hair on your neck when you're like, when I know I haven't told her where we're going these stories aren't public hauntings. We feature a lot of unknown haunts. So it's really incredible to know like someone that has no knowledge is getting that information. So that's part of the investigative team. As far as producing the show too, they're part of that because they have to be there and I have to kind of coordinate their schedules. But um, behind the scenes, I've got a couple of helpers, but it's it's like small time cleanups, like just kind of trimming down the, the, the edits um cutting out all the the fat is what i call it like trimming the fat i'll just yeah. give them the interviews and say hey just cut out all the ums and the pauses but what you're hearing pieced together fully uh, edited i have to do it all just because that's sort of my 
my background, my thing. I, I grew up in film and, and film editing and film screenwriting. So I, I really like take a lot of pride in, in crafting a really well-told story. So I haven't yet been able to find editors for myself yet. So I still have to do the recording, the, the um, investigating, and then follow-up investigations, downloading it all, putting it all together. My team does the cleanups, which is great, which is a couple of people like Mikey, um, and Jennifer who do that. And I really appreciate the cleanups cause they help me just trim the fat, but really it's all, it's all just a lot of work. I spend, we never know how a case is going to go either. It's so organic. So like, for instance, when we were at the clay pit Indian restaurant downtown, that took several months and it was over seven visits that we had to take there to unravel everything that was going on there. And so that's just one case. And it turned into three episodes that were released one a month. Um, but it was hard cause I was editing literally to the deadline. Um, I would, I would lose sleep. I was putting myself in the hospital. I was, I was getting really sick. So for the new year and after COVID hit, I've made a vow and I've told my fans, like, when I come back fully, we're not going to have a, we're not going to have a schedule. Um, we're going to go on cases and when the cases are finished, they'll be released because <laughs> it, yeah. it was really hurting me as far as just the, the amount of production value that we have to put into these stories. Having a deadline one a month is just really, really hard with, with my schedule because I work two jobs on top of doing a podcast. <laughs> so it's yeah. really tough. Uh, there's two Thanks. things that I wanted to touch on. So that kind of like that deadline, is it? Or was that kind of like, uh, I mean, you're not signed to a, are you signed to a media company at all for the podcast? Are you independent? No, I'm independent. I just started it in my, in my, in my office yeah. at home. And, and right. yeah, I think what I heard, I was so new to podcasting. I heard from a lot of people in the industry. Um, I was lucky enough to attend the Austin Film Festival's uh, podcast conference track and met a lot of really good podcasters. And they were really pressing, like, make sure you have a consistent schedule that everyone knows when it's coming out. And I know it's important, but I also yeah. learned in these last four, four and a half, five years, I know that what we have is, is quite unique. Um, yeah. There isn't a lot. There is actually, I know for a fact, there's nothing out there like ours in the paranormal realm. Um, and it's really hard to replicate and people write me every week. They just say like, when are you coming back? There's nothing like your show out there and we miss it. And I know they want it. And I'm just trying to get back on my feet because COVID and the pandemic really did an, a number on me and my personal life. For so sure. I'm, I'm having to recover just from some setbacks in life. And now I'm gearing up to come back um, at least by October of this year. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, congrats, man. I was, I was, you know, I didn't want to get too personal. I was going to kind of ask you, but yeah, man, I just took like, uh, you know, to your point earlier, I, we don't, we don't have a, I don't have a, my show either. It's kind of, what I've realized is when you, when you kind of confine yourself to like a deadline or like a certain day, it, to me, I think it kind of, um, messes with the creative integrity sometimes of the show like us being podcasters we're creatives you know first and foremost and we have to do these things when they feel right to us 
And so I think, uh, you know, I, I used to put that pressure on myself a lot too, when it's like, Hey, you know, I need this like once every two weeks or whatever. And for example, I, I took like a month off just recently. This is the first interview I've done in over a month and just for some mental health reasons. And, you know, it's important for us, man. Like we have to kind of recalibrate sometimes. So, I mean, I, uh, I totally respect it. And, trust me. And, um, yeah. I mean, you guys have a solid show and it takes a lot of work to do what you do. So you got to be able to just, you know, as long as you know, in your heart, like you're putting out good quality content, that's all that matters. You know what I mean? Because you don't want to rush anything and feel like it wasn't, you know, I feel like I've made that mistake too. a lot of growing pains. Like I said, I've only been doing this for a year and a half and we only have 26 episodes out. And so I, you know, it's, there's been a couple times where I felt like I rushed stuff out too quickly just to kind of, oh, we got to put an episode out, but it's really just like, do it when you, when you feel inspired kind of thing. Um, that's kind of what I've realized, at least for myself. Yeah, man. And I, I commend you for that, taking that break too, because that's exactly what I've coming out of what coming out of the, you know, the setback. I also realized that I was doing a lot that wasn't really focused on my own self-care and mental health. And yeah. I was running myself into the ground and, and physically becoming incredibly ill, like physically ill. And it was, it was just this, the show was being, was successful and it was something I've always loved and wanted to do and wanted to share my passion for storytelling and share my passion for the paranormal because of what happened to me when I was 11. And I said, wow, something's finally like combining all my passions my skills, what I feel I'm good at, what I'm felt I'm meant to do. And so then I just, I threw it all in, you know, I said, Hey, this is important. I'm going to, I'm going to go all out. And I listened to the standard, you know, professional guidelines of, you know, stick to a strict schedule. Don't ever falter. And I, and I did it for, for three and a half, four years. And then I burned myself out, you know, yeah. um, and got so ill that I had to stop. And yeah, we all need to take a step back and and really don't get sucked sucked into that um, closed mindset that because someone says this is the way it's supposed to work or you're going to fail, you can always pave your own way. Um, And that's what I'm going to do starting October. Definitely going to, going to pave a new way for the night owl. And it's, it's still going to be good. It's still going to be great. It's going to be, in my opinion, might even be better because I have more time for the episodes. Um, Might not have as many coming out each year, but, they're going to be high quality and I also will get to maintain my own health, both physically and mentally, you know? Amen to that, man. I totally. And the thing about podcasting I've learned too, is there's, there's not any rules to this, you know, it really is kind of like the new frontier and there's not, we're kind of, we're kind of paving our own rules, so to speak, as, as we go on, because this is really such a, it really is kind of a new media form and it's, we're kind of in we're in the pioneer stages of it man so we really can kind of set our own rules i think so that's the that's the great thing about it um one thing you mentioned earlier that was interesting so i'm a musician too as well on the side and i one of the things i love movie scores and i love movie soundtracks and i noticed the music in the background you know it's kind of subtle a little bit but on like the you know the lockhart episode for example and I thought to myself, man, that sounds really cool. That's interesting that that's all original scored. I wasn't aware of that. So 
that's awesome. Yeah, to kind of do the music for your show like that. Yeah, and just another shout out, Nick Fair out of Corpus uh, Christi. I mean, he's been a friend of mine since college, um, and that's you know back in the two thousand three to two thousand seven era. Um, he began working with me, scoring some of my films because I just I just knew he was super talented, and uh, I can't even you know when you just click with someone and they just know your style, they read what you what your your whole vibe is for your type of storytelling. He did the same thing for my films that I was producing and and I was really impressed with his work. And because we're just good friends, we just kind of help each other out by like sharing and exposing each other. And so it's kind of just like a partnership on this podcast. He'll just say like, "Hey, what's your uh, what's your next one going to be?" and I'll be like, "Well, all I know is it's a theater or all I know it's it's a farm." And he'll he'll just go into his room and he records on uh, antique equipment and does everything analog. So it has a, a unique sound that's different than a lot of just like studio produced stuff. And it yeah. also I think lends itself to giving our show a little bit of a, a kind of a, a nice um, aesthetic, a, a quality that's, that's really good for ghost stories and these reels gives it a little, a little bit more realism as well, just because it feels so um, uh, organic, his recordings but yeah, he did a whole, if you ever get a chance to go listen to um, the series on Pioneer Farms, mm-hmm. it is incredible. He he recorded, it's it's on a Native American encampment site. He Everything in there is him. You'll hear a, a Native American singing in the background and it's him. Wow. And you'll hear, you'll hear the music, you'll hear the flutes and he's, he's not a flute playing guy, <laughs> but he just does this stuff. He just has every instrument you can ever imagine. And he knows how to play everything. And yeah, when you, when you hear the pioneer farm series, you're like, you feel like you're back in the 1800s, you know, you're like, wow, yeah. this is incredible. How did he do this? Um, yeah. So Nick is incredible. Uh, check him out uh, at look up Gnosis Antiquarius, which is spelled G N O S I S Antiquarius. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's on, he's on Bandcamp, He's on Instagram. Um, he loves to work and he loves to give people what they want. So if you're in need of music, reach out to Nick. He's incredible. Yeah, man. I, I, I didn't write that down. So I may just shoot you an email and, and have you kind of send me his info and I'll definitely look him up for sure. Yeah. Um, so this might be kind of a, a hard question for you to answer, but, uh, you know, out of your, opi- your opinion, like every place, I guess, every, I guess, uh, I don't even know what the right nomenclature would be, I guess, haunting, so to speak, that you've covered on your show, uh, which one to you kind of gave you the most unsettling feeling where you were kind of like, okay, something, something bad went on here, or you just kind of felt it like in your bones, like where you were just like, this is, this is uneasy, or maybe you kind of got a little like uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, again, because I didn't really set this up well in the beginning, I do want to express that the show is it's a very journalistic approach to ghost uh, ghost investigations and paranormal investigations. We're not a, a, a team that comes in like ghostbusters and has all this gear. And right. so what I'm looking for when I get these cases is a way to explore 
not only just like the scary side of, of these things, because naturally the unknown is always kind of scary, right? So yeah. if things are happening, if if the typical things like cups are flying off and breaking or there's shadows being seen at night by the staff or, you know, someone is is hearing voices or seeing a figure, those are kind of common, you know, but and it's always going to have a little bit of a spooky factor to it and, it and it can make you feel a little uneasy. But with me, I'm, I'm going in clean slate with the belief that this place is not haunted. Like in my mind, I'm like, let's just kind of start. And I don't, I don't push people away when they tell me their stories. I, I'm welcoming and I want to hear everything. And so that I say, be candid. And I, I get the personal side of the, the haunting too. Like how did it impact them? Where do they come from? What kind of background do they have? Do they, were they religious at all? And so I'm getting everything from everything from every person and every experience and I'm collecting it. I'm, I'm archiving it. I'm journaling it. And yeah, when I go into these places, I'm, I'm kind of not really that scared, but there was two cases. I, it's hard for me to, to, to pick between these two because they both equally unnerved me, but they were for two very different reasons. The tavern case, which you might know the tavern, it's got that famous neon air conditioned sign on 12th and Lamar. Yeah, you know, I, not to interject, but my mom was a bartender there in college, oddly enough. So I'll have to. Uh, I'll... It was like when she worked that place. Is that would be incredible. Time. Yeah, you'd have to put her in touch with me too, because I would love to ask her some things. Because that case has haunted me to this day. Um, yeah. It was one of those cases where it was a lot. I went there with the assumptions of what I believed, because I'd heard a few rumors about the haunting there. And when I got there, um, there was a general manager named Molly at the time who had been in touch with me, and I was gonna, gonna sort of be my my point kind of my point of contact there. And every time I do a case, I usually have a point of contact that I've connected with, and I'm like, okay, you'll you'll give me the lay of the land, then you'll start introducing me to staff and people that have had experiences, and then I'll pull them aside and interview them separately. Well, I get there, and she is grabs me and starts taking me all over the building and she starts spilling out all this history and it's on the show. You'll hear me. And I describe how fast paced it was and how quickly I began to realize how much darker this story was than I had imagined and what I had heard uh, because, you know, trigger warning, it's, it's definitely triggering what the subject matter is on that episode is, is it deals with, um, you know, child, a child being murdered, but even worse than that, a child being raped and murdered. Yeah. And so that was, I did not expect that when I was going there. And so that set me back a little bit. And then it just became a lot more um, unnerving to be there because of what I knew what, what might have happened there. And then on top of that, they did renovations in the building and they found a little girl's shoes in the, in the, in the wall where they said her body was stuffed when she was killed. And so they have her shoes hanging on the wall there in the what what year what year did this happen out of curiosity this they story. don't know this is all speculation uh there's uh, no and i and if you listen to the show i go crazy in my historical research like i i go to the history center i spend weeks there and i'm trying to find some validation for this and i don't so part of the episode is me wrestling with is this a legend that was made up to draw in crowds you know is it a, is the spooky factor? The haunted factor can sometimes lure people in. But when right. I bring my, I bring my psychic friend Sarah, without letting her know where we're going, she sees a little girl, 
and she says something horrible happened to her and she describes it and it's what everybody there says. So I, I really am torn when I do that. That's my second case I ever took with the show. There was a male presence in the building that no one's ever reported a male presence. They just see the little girl. Um, and when that started to happen, we got a photograph um, of a, of a dark figure on the stairs where Emily was murdered. Um, and it's at the time that my psychic friend was telling me that he had came, he'd come up the stairs and this male presence was very ominous. And he, she kept saying the little girl is terrified of this male presence and come to find out. We believe that the person who committed the act, part of his energy is still there um, because of the, the act being so atrocious and, and, and there's a lot more to the story to that, but that person no one knows who he was, but my psychic friend, Sarah got a name, but then also we went through the history records and found somebody and we believe we found who did it. And when I did that, um, I started having a male voice speak to me when I would go to bed mm. and my psychic friend, Sarah warned me that he truly hated me because I found him out. Ooh. And we didn't expose who he was because he was a he was a famous politician in Austin. Um, I kept it private because I didn't. Obviously, there's no proof, and I'm not going to do that to somebody's name. But my psychic told me clearly this this is him. And and uh, ever since then, you know, when I was on that case, when I'd come home at night, we I would hear the whispers. I would hear a male talking, and uh, and and it was supposedly this guy not very happy uh, with me. And there's been a lot of issues with this, with this character. Um, and that was unnerving for me. Uh, the, yeah. sec the second case, just telling you what it is, will give you the heebie jeebies. Uh, we got called by a family in a town that I can't disclose because we're keeping, this case was really sensitive. This is part of the reason why it was so scary. They had just moved into a home and they started to see, things and experience things. And then they saw somebody and they found out that the place was the site of a recent double homicide. So the previous owners were killed in the mm -hmm. home and the person reported seeing a man. And then when he found the image of the person who was killed in his home, it was the exact person he saw in the home, but it was an unsolved double homicide. And it just happened like really recently. And this family knew of our show and they're like, we need Sarah to come. We think these people are at unrest. And so I said, well, this is the first time I'm ever taking her to a place where something this horrible has happened. And it was just really unnerving because we also had the fact that there was, there was a lot of potential police cover up of what happened as well. The police were involved in some capacity. It was theorized. And I started digging like I always do because I'm very extensive with my research and I found some clues that were very disturbing. And I get told by multiple people, people I don't know, call me and say, back off. And that was, that was where I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, I'm working on this to help, try to help a family with paranormal activity. But at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm unearthing things around a double homicide. And that was a, that. If you listen to that series, it really blew me away. 
I can't say much, but I'm really happy to report that they caught him now. Um, that's good. Yeah. So this, is, this, this is an episode, the one that you're speaking about right now. This is one that's already published. Yes, right. it's called the it's called Murder House. It's three it's a three part series. Okay. Um, that's the Murder House series. It's a it's a really great series. And talk about music. Nick really blew blew me away with his score on that one. That one because it was so un, un unnerving what happened there. Uh, a woman got stabbed multiple times in the neck. A man got shot in the head uh, and and chest and and it was like an uncall like it was no reason for what happened it was just kind of like the the community was shocked that these two people were killed that way and um yeah when i go there you talk about unnerving like the the current owner is walking me he's like he's taking me to where he sleeps the the homeowner and his girlfriend sleep and he's showing me the bed and he's like yeah this is where she was stabbed 36 times and i'm like you sleep right here <laughs> i you could still see spots on the wall that they couldn't get the blood off. Yeah. This episode, and correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, this had to be unique, right? Because this was something that wasn't, because I, I assume most of the time when you're doing these um, cases, it's, it's stuff that's kind of. Yeah. You're, this is more of a recent, which I think really probably, the dreary feeling of it in the unsettledness. Yeah. Yeah. And the lingering fact that there's someone out there that did this to these people that I have no clue if they're involved in knowing what we're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause at the time when you guys filmed, uh, were d doing this and you recorded it and put it out, he was still, the guy wasn't caught yet. Right? No. Yeah. When wow. no one knew, um, what's really interesting though, is that I had, See, what I do is I, I just gather, you know, I, it's like I'm an investigator, right? I'm just investigating and ca gathering testimony. And I never released certain bits of information because it was a very sensitive case. But there was a there was one thing that I heard um, that told me it was a, it was a it was a piece of information that told me who it was, who did it, you know. Mm. And I and I held that because it involved the police it involved it involved information that the police already had so i couldn't do anything with it other than what they already had and it was also believed that the police might be involved in covering it so i couldn't go to them to tell them certain things right and Which it was just scary it was scary because I, I i knew and i never i didn't know for sure but to me i said if this is this to me this told me this person did it and I didn't know how else to deal with it. And I can't put that in an episode. So I kept it to myself. Well, the person that they arrested is that person that I knew. Like I wow. knew it was him. Yeah, I knew it was based on everything. And so that's what it's really interesting to like how involved we get with these cases is, is way more than the surface level. Let's get your spooky story and let's go. It's like, we were there with that family. We, we drove out in the middle of the night sometimes because they were calling us terrified. They would come to Austin because they couldn't talk in their own house and we'd set up a place at a private at a, at a public place where they could speak to us because they were terrified. And there's so much more that it goes involved in these cases that I kind of, that's what I want to do. I want people to understand when you hear the episodes, you can feel that you feel that how much time and effort was put into investigating these cases. And it wasn't all about us scaring you or, or, or right. ghosts are real. It's, 
it was our main goal was to help this family. And I'm glad we did, you know, and we helped the spirits too, because those, those that were at unrest, the, 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 the man and woman who were killed and their families were at unrest at why they couldn't do this. And it was really amazing to hear what the psychics were saying. And the psychics said it, they go, it's not going to be long. They're going to find They're They're, they're going to find this one thing and it's going to point to the right guy. And then within a year it happened. Wow. Man, I'm so mind blown right now. I mean, this is like real. The reason why this is so fascinating to me is, I mean, this is true investigative journalism, like in its rawest form, you know? And so, I mean, it's, this is fucking cool, man. I mean, I think this is why your show is so huge too. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I know I I didn't know what I was doing when I started it, but I knew that this is what I wanted in a show and it didn't exist. So I just decided I have the skill sets. I'm a, I love, I've studied storytelling all my life and I'm like, but I've never tried to do it with nonfiction, with journalism, you know? And I was like, can I do it? And I tried it. And then we've, you know, it's been a blessing. We've won Austin Chronicles best podcast two years in a row now. And it's just like, okay, this is working. Uh, People love it. I'm just so happy because I love it and I can't believe something I'm doing. I love so many other people do love too. And I hope we can keep doing it. You know, um, yeah, man. I just gotta take care of myself and not run myself into the ground. Like I was before in the previous years. Absolutely. man. I can totally relate to that. Uh, congratulations by the way, I'm winning that the last couple of years. I mean, that was another thing too. I mean, I remember hearing about your show. I want to say, man, I remember hearing about your show back. You said you launched in 2017. Yeah. I think it might've been 17, 18, 19. Yeah. Yeah. 17. Yeah. Because there, about three years ago is when I kind of started to flirt with the idea of starting a podcast. And I kind of started doing my local research and kind of seeing who was out there. And you were kind of one of the guys that I started kind of paying attention to. So you, you've got, I've known about you for a couple of years. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, I think you definitely have kind of helped, like, you've kind of trailblazed this, I think, for a lot of guys like myself here locally. So thank you for all that. Well, thank you. I appreciate those kind words. I never thought I'd be in that place. You know, I was just yeah. a bumbling fool with a recorder trying to find my way in the in Dude, this new medium. And I, me I'm really, too. really just uh, humbled by everything that's been happening, all the events that we get to have. And the, and the fan base has just been so supportive of us. Yeah. You know, what's interesting too, man, real quick. I think a lot of people, I think who don't, it's easy because I was even kind of like this too before I got into podcasting. It's man, that, that can't be that hard, you know. Like you're just you're just talking, you're being you know on a microphone, dude. It's way harder than people think it is. I mean, it's really like it really. I, I would argue it's even harder than public speaking because if you're you are your voice and what you're saying is getting sent out to you don't even know how many people. And uh, it's it's really I think people a lot of people underestimate how much effort we actually put into this art form. Yeah, totally. And there's so many ways that you can do it too. I'm I'm teaching. I developed I developed and I'm teaching podcasting courses at ACC now. Um, so there's uh, an audio production course that I taught over the the spring virtually, um, okay. and then I'm teaching this fall uh, fiction podcast screenwriting. Um, and it's a lot of fun, but yeah, there's so many layers to the, to the medium and teaching it. I'm able to learn like, yeah, like, even though I went through my own journey, mine was like, I just did it. And I had to learn along the way, formulating podcasting 
in sort of in formulating a way to teach it was really challenging because it's such a new medium. And then going through it, you're like reminded of how much work it is because you're trying to teach these students who are eager and they want to make their own podcast. But you're like, whoa, like let's pump the brakes and let's start to understand what a podcast is and what your what your goals are, what your end result will be. And also like the, the many different forms, like conversational solo podcasting. My type is like um, investigative journalism, uh, nonfiction storytelling, those sort of things. So there's so many ways you can go about it. And each one has its own pros and cons and, and perks, you know, but then they have its stronger challenges in some areas like mine, the product, like you said, the production value, it's just so demanding and grueling to layer that much audio. I'm creating sound beds too. Like if we go to a tattoo parlor, I'm, I'm capturing the sounds of tattoo guns and I'm recording all that while I'm on site. And then I layer those and make a, an ambient sound bed of the location, you know? So it's like, it's like when you're, when you're making a film and you're, and you're doing sound editing and, and doing sound design, Foley and everything. I do that with the show as well. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely don't put, um, I, I keep mine as streamlined as possible, man. But I think, so I, I have a co-host Zach that I do uh, some of my shows with sometimes. And then I do interviews on the side, but we kind of just started it, man. We wanted to keep it really calm. You know what? We're two guys in our thirties grew up in Austin. We just want to start a show and kind of just bullshit and talk, you know, and uh, yeah. give our perspective on Austin and compare and contrast of how it used to be. And, um, I, I always knew I wanted to do interviews on the side because I, I enjoyed conversation stories and I kind of yeah, but it's really helped uh kind of um elevate the show in a lot of ways and I do enjoy doing the interviews a lot so yeah man it definitely it meant a lot having you on the show no thanks man I appreciate it no I'm, I'm very happy to be here yeah. yeah. Oh, one thing I want to ask you, man. So, favorite scary movie of all time, and if you don't have a favorite, give me like two or three that you really, really have an affinity for. <laughs> yeah, it's always hard for me because film is my my passion. Like, film is what was my first passion. I I've been writing screenplays since I was eleven years old. Um, I don't have a. Fa- I can never name my number one. Yeah. But because I love every I love every subgenre of horror there is. Same. Um, so that let me try to think um i mean just just coming out with like things that are just like top list um obviously i should probably name something supernatural you know because the show it it is tough because the paranormal movies are are not um they're not as well made sometimes you know um i think my favorite paranormal horror film of, of all time um because of how well it was made and uh, and the, the quality of acting and the storyline, I really liked the changeling a lot. Um, that story always stuck with me. Um, George C. Scott is an incredible actor. And it was one of the earlier ghost stories that the ghost was trying to deliver a message mm. and it was all scary stuff happening. But George C. Scott it's basically like a murder mystery uh, wrapped or uh, wrapped inside of a ghost story. And so he's starting to realize something happened to this person. Um, and they're trying to help him see who might've done it or what happened. And so in our, in our show, I like that we are getting to a lot of that. Like every time we do a case, we realize, Oh, these scary things 
are just perceived as scary because it's unnatural and weird. But really with, with what we learned from Sarah, and then when I do historical research that backs up her findings, these spirits or these supposed spirits just want to get something across. And it usually ends with the restaurant paying homage to them and like putting something in a corner for them or honoring them with like their name on the wall. It always ends with something kind of beautiful and, and, and great. And so every episode we do typically ends with a very high note. So I really like the changeling in that it, it, it is about like a spirit just trying to get a message across. And it was one of the earlier ghost stories to do that. Um, when in, when in, did that come out? Cause I've actually never heard of that movie. Oh, um, I'm trying to remember it. if it's it's seventies or eighties. I'm just having a hard okay. time remembering. Uh, let me see. I can probably pull it up real quick and find out 1980. Exactly. So it was right. Okay. Probably filmed in 79 and released in 80. Right. I'll have to Google it, man. I've never heard of that one. Weirdly enough. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Um, as far as like other horror movies that really stand out to me, I've always been a huge fan of The Exorcist. Same. And Same. Rosemary's Baby stands up really high Good. for me. This is cliche as shit, but I feel like it's kind of just now gotten more of a cult-like following like in the last five years. I feel like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, man, is just it's so hard to top that on a lot of levels, at least for like yeah as as a slasher that's that is that is a top-notch slasher flick and uh i'm really bad with like that sort of genre i'm not as super gung-ho about like i have a really good friend and my team member mikey who does some cleanup editing for me um that's his favorite movie of all time so me and him have arguments i'm like i'm never arguing it is it is top-notch high quality probably the best one there but for some reason I don't get into them as much. So I'm like, I can't name it in my top, you know, but right. I understand it. It's just incredible. It's a really well-written and a well-produced and, and just cleverly made film. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially for its time, man. I yeah. Mean, you just don't, and the music is that so low budget. I, I love just like the grittiness to it, man. It's just so raw. Yeah. Um, it's hard to top that, but yeah, the exorcist, I think, unequivocally for me has to be the greatest horror movie of all time and again just so before it's time like you go back and kind of watch that movie and you just like holy sh- the early 70s you know what i mean it's just like yeah so innovative man yeah man there's so many i could name like you know i love american werewolf in london i love oh, great. john great. carpenter is one of my all-time favorites so like you know uh, the thing is like one of my top favorite horror films of all time it's a good one yeah i i love all all horror though every genre every subgenre. i try to try to dive into each i'm getting into because of a good friend of mine right now greg um he's gotten me into like revisiting giallo you know the italian um oh, okay subgenre. yeah okay cool i love i'm loving what i'm finding in that in that subgenre right now as well yeah i'll have to email you man at, uh after this or later this weekend kind of maybe have you shoot me some names because i'm not genre, but i'd like to maybe check a couple films out so I'll, I'll definitely email you yeah cool well hey steven i appreciate you have being on the show man we'll have to do this again sometime dude it was a like super profound conversation i'm, I'm looking forward to putting this episode out well thanks dude i appreciate it let me know if you need anything else and then if you um i'll promote it obviously when you get it out i'll just put it out thanks, on my man. channel yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, we'll be in touch via email. Yeah. All right, cool, man. Thanks again. Sounds good. Take care. All right, see you, man. Bye. Trapped in Austin.
Podcast.